Okay, good morning, everyone. This is Janet Lee, and I am the hostess of the podcast Spoken Memory Connections, and I am thrilled today to interview Peter J. And he is from Raya, Wisconsin, and he will be talking about a few different things, including uh, Laverne and perhaps Cosette, if we're lucky. And um, I, without further ado, please take it away, Peter. Okay, my name is Peter Jensen, and as Janet Lee said, I live in Rio, Wisconsin. Um, the question came whether I could recall the origin of the Rio Flying Breakfast, and uh, unfortunately, I'm not that old. <laughs> the the Rio Aero Club started, I believe, in the 1960s, and I'm not exactly sure whether it was 1963 or it was early 60s. And as far as I could determine, the first Ryle Flying Breakfast was in the 1970s. Um, I joined the Ryle Aero Club in 1982, and I started flying with Laverne in the summer of 1982, and that's when I met him and everything. And I'd like to just tell the story of uh, flying with Laverne to start with before we get to the breakfast, but... You have to understand that I was, uh, you know, 19 years old. I had my private pilot license, and so I was flying a uh, tail dragger aircraft off a grass strip with a retired colonel, you know, instructing me. And you can imagine late summer, hot day, we had the windows open, and, you know, as far as being a pilot goes, it just didn't get any better than this. And, uh, you know, for me, it was a religious experience. And I'm fairly certain that in the beginning it was for Laverne as well, because every time that I came into land, Laverne was in the back seat and he would scream, Jesus Christ, Peter, Jesus Christ. But, you know, with with a good instructor, I got better over time and my landings got better. And that was the start of a, you know, very long and uh, many, many flights that Laverne and I did together. Uh, but getting back to the Ryle Flying Breakfast, uh, it was a huge event in the community. And so my first one was in 1983, and Laverne was in charge of it. He was, I don't know if he was, uh, I know for a fact that he was not formally in charge of all the breakfasts throughout the years, but uh, he was informally in charge and ran the breakfast as long as I was a member of the club. And in those days, and I mean, it's, you know, 30 some years ago, the community of Rio, they had a fireman's picnic at the same time, the same weekend. The flying breakfast is always the last Sunday in June. And they had the carnival in town and the you know, softball games and bands and everything. And, on Saturday, this last Saturday in June, the Royal Aero Club, we'd have our cleanup day. And that was the day that we'd prepare to, you know, for the, the big event. And we'd get together. And I recall, you know, for many, many years, uh, that afterwards we had a, like, potluck supper. And people would bring some, you know, something to pass. And at that time, Laverne, I'm not, I don't remember the name of the band, but he had a band. It was like four or five people, and 
Laverne would play the banjo and they had a bass and something on a keyboard and whatever. And um, so those were good memories. Uh, you know, it, and over time that faded away. Everybody got older and busier and things like that. Um, but there were several uh, interesting progressions of the Flying Breakfast. Um, I'm not exactly sure what year it was, but we had a club member named Dwight Marshall, and he worked for the canning company in Cambria. And he made the suggestion that we sell fresh peas. And when he brought that up, um, there was not much enthusiasm for it. Uh, but Laverne and I, we thought that it was worth a try. And so I got up at like 3 o'clock in the morning and drove to Cambria and uh, got this huge tote of peas. I think there was, you know, like 12, 1,300 pounds of peas. And it came back, and by gosh, that was a big hit. It really turned out to be a big money maker for the club. And it also drew in, um, you know, a lot more people. We had people that showed up just to buy peas. Um, and because they were donated, it was pure profit. Um, so that was one of the interesting things. The other... Uh, Years, many years prior, we don't do this anymore, but uh, on Saturday before, uh, we'd get together with airplanes and fly over all the campgrounds and try and generate, uh, you know, enthusiasm. You know, Laverne would say, yeah, you know, people see the airplanes fly over and Laverne would fly, do some aerobatics with his pits and everything else. And we would send people out in Laverne's Model A and they'd drive in the campground and they would sell advanced tickets. And that was another way that we could you know, try to you know, generate enthusiasm and participation. And all of these things were successful. Um, but in recent years, and I'm saying the past 10 years, um, the Rio community, they stopped having their firemen's picnic. Uh, they decided that maybe selling beer isn't the best way to you know, support the fire department. And the carnivals went away, and as such, the, the Rio Flying Breakfast has, I don't want to say diminished, but it's changed to the point where uh, where we used to, you know, almost uh, predictably get over a thousand people uh, show up. I think that the most number of people I remember was 1,400 at, at one of our breakfasts, and now we're down to about 800 Um the campers, they don't show up like they used to, and there's other events going on that weekend. And so, um, how should I say? And here again, not many people actually get in their airplanes on Sunday morning and fly out to a breakfast like they used to. Um, I recall back in, you know, 1990s that we'd have, you know, 40, 50 airplanes come in, and uh, it was just a huge, huge uh popular event in the area but one thing I want to mention is that after the breakfast uh, that's when okay we had our big event and all right we, it was a great success and we counted the money and went home and because I lived in the area the cleanup the actual okay let's get rid of the garbage let's wash all the silverware and pack it away and get ready and do inventory for next year, uh, that kind of fell to uh, 
myself and Cosette. And that's how I met and got to know Cosette. Because it would be the Monday after the breakfast that it would be three, four, five of us out there. But Cosette would be the one and it was her turn to be in charge. And she would, you know, go around and we need to do this and we need to pack this away and things like that. And so back in the early 80s, that's how I met Cosette. And that developed into, uh, um, I eventually you know, married my wife, Sue, Suzanne, and you know, over the years, Laverne and Cosette would come out to our house, or we would go out to dinner or whatever, and it was just a wonderful time. It really was. She was a delightful person, and, um, you know, as time went on, it was very hard for Laverne to, to see what happened there, and Laverne would always visit her. Anyway, that's what I have to say about that. But Laverne and I had many interesting experiences out at the Rio Club. And believe it or not, there was one time when he was cleaning out his hangar. And it may have been the last time he actually did it. Uh, but I helped him clean out his hangar. And we were taking stuff out and... Laverne got the bright idea that, okay, we're just going to put it in a pile out here and we'll burn this trash. And so we started a small fire, and pretty soon it was a big fire. And next thing we know, the wind picked up and it started to get away from us. And it's blowing down. And we're out there with shovels and everything else, and we're trying to put this out. And there's no water around. And um, by gosh, we finally got it under control. But if we hadn't, I think we would have burned every building on that side of the airport down. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those things. And Laverne was the airport manager at that time, and, and he also uh, kind of, how should I say, I don't want to say played a trick on me, but took advantage. And uh, he would go down to the hardware store and get a burning permit. Well, the ordinance was, was that you had to live in the, the township in order to get a burning permit. And so he'd go down there and talk to Lori Lang and said, well, just put it in Peter's name. And so he'd draw a burning permit in my name and I'd learn about it, you know, four or five days later. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm glad nothing got out of control there. But anyway, uh, so the fly-in breakfast, like I say, that's where I first met Laverne. That's where I met and you know, got to know Cosette. But I also got to you know, meet the rest of his family. His uh, brother, Dwayne, would show up, and uh, they'd work together at the at the counter and take tickets, and Laverne would keep track of attendance by the number of plates he handed out. And I'm not sure if there was 200 plates in a bag or whatever, but he would count plates. And if someone tried to pinch a plate, you know, Laverne would snap at him and say, hey, 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 that's how we're getting our count here and everything else. And I remember, I think, that even his brother Bob came up one year, and, you know, and of course the children came up in various times, and it wasn't that long ago, maybe three, four years ago, that it seemed like we had the whole crew came up for the breakfast, and that was a wonderful event. Uh, you know, many good times, many good memories there. Um, let's see what else I have on my notes. Oh... All right, so now we get into flying with Laverne. And uh, Laverne owned many airplanes over the years. Uh, he had a Pitts, and he had a 
asset racer, and he owned a Bonanza, and he had a Bonanza, and I believe it was at the beginning with his brother Dwayne, uh, Dillover Bible, and Mike Agnew, and Mike Agnew dropped out fairly early, and there's a lot of stories associated with Dillover Bible, Diz Bible, and Laverne, uh, but how this relates to myself is that at that point in time, Laverne told me that he liked to own airplanes with people or partners that didn't have a license to fly or couldn't fly themselves because that way he got to fly the airplane with them and had this little bit of control over it. And that followed through with the, with the PA-12 as well, the, the cruiser that Larry Wills was his you know, partner in that airplane, but Larry never got his uh, pilot license. Then in uh, June of 2002, Laverne and I entered into partnership in the Myers 200. And then again, he brought up, he says, you know, so Peter, he says, you know, I'm not too sure about this. He says, you know how to fly this airplane by yourself. And uh, you know, I'm going to lose a little bit of control over it and everything. And we joked about it over time. And then it got to the point where Laverne lost his medical and he couldn't fly. And so I brought up to Laverne that, hey, Laverne, this is a really good partnership because you can't fly without me. But we did. We flew We flew quite a bit. Um, I recall going up to St. Paul to pick up Mary or pick up or drop off Mary. And we made several other trips. We made several trips to uh, Michigan. I think one... One year, the Spielmobile broke down over there, and we flew over there to pick it up. Or I'm not exactly sure of the circumstance. And, and then Cam, Laverne, Don Brinkmeyer, and I, we took the, the Myers down to the uh, Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio, and had a wonderful trip and event there. And uh, We actually met Nancy. She was passing through, and so we met her at the museum, and got to see the display of the RF-86 and um, you know, things like that. Um, but no, I had many, many flights with Laverne, and it was always fun. And um, I'm not sure if you want to keep this in there or not, but um, the statute of limitations may be run out, and I'm sure they're not going to prosecute Laverne, but um, every time he saw a train... You know, I would say, okay, Peter, we're going to strafe this train, and he'd nose the airplane over and point it at the train, and, and he'd flick the landing light at it to pretend we're firing at it, and then he'd pull up, and we'd go out. And that was kind of our thing. And, you know, those were the days. You know, nobody, nobody turned us in, and no harm, no foul, but I'm sure that uh, it might not be taken in the same way today. But... Um, yeah, so uh, it was, Laverne was a true friend. You know, he made me into a great, into a better pilot. Um, I'd never be as great a pilot as Laverne, but I'm a much better pilot um, than I would have been without flying with Laverne. And uh, you know, my last memory is when I went to visit him shortly before you know, he passed, and we had a really good visit then. And, I went over his you know, life with in the Air Force and Cosette and family and up to present day and you know he talked about the pits and 
I wanted Scott Kinsey to teach Jack how to do aerobatics in the pits. And, um, you know, some things just didn't work out the way that he wanted, but, you know, that was, that was his goal. That's what he was thinking, you know, right up, right up to the very end. So that's all I have prepared, Janet. Uh, anything else you'd like to ask me? I have one comment um, on what you just said. He was a person who thought of others. He was thinking of others as often, if not more so, than he was thinking of himself, right? Like in the partnership in the planes. He just wanted to help people learn to fly. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, he was always thinking of other people, and he was always thinking of the greater good, the, the greater public good, and... Uh, you know, we had issues with at the Rio Airport about trees at the end of the airport, and um, you know, it wasn't adversarial or anything. But you know, it's like you know, the comment was made many times. Don't they realize that if they got rid of those trees, it would just be better for everybody? And the same way, when they built the water tower in Rio, it's off the approach end of a, you know, runway two seven, and. There's some things we can't control, but like I say, that was something that Laverne, you know, like, you know, they could have moved it to a different place, or they could have put it up in a different place. But, but yeah, he, uh, he collected a lot of things, as you know, um, you know, cars and, you know, instruments and that. And, but you're right, it, it, he always was thinking of other people and, you know, how can we do this better? So. I have just a few um, questions along those lines related to the uh, Cowgill field. And that is, will the fly in breakfast continue? If, if you know, of course you may not know. And um, will the airport be as robust and active? The short answer to all those questions is yes. Um, and I'm going to uh, bring you up to date that originally it was called Cogill Field, but here again, this is something that Laverne was instrumental in, is, and then we changed it to Gilbert Field. Lauren Gilbert was one of the first members of the Rio Aero Club, and he had a hangar and, and planes out there and he was a person that would, you know, very generous with his time and, and airplanes, and he would let people fly his airplanes. And then after Lauren passed, um, his widow, and I'm not for, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. She donated money to the club, and that's how we were able to renovate the clubhouse. And after that, that's when we changed the name to Gilbert Field, and it is Gilbert Field now, and. We are going to have the breakfast this year. We didn't officially have it last year because of, you know, the COVID virus. But what we did was we just said, okay, this is going to be a private club event. And in the town, in the village of Rio, we just said, hey, you know, there's not going to be a breakfast this year. But if you stop by, we'll, we'll make you a pancake type of thing. And we still had you know, even without advertising or without it being an official event, we still had several hundred people show up. And so, yes, 
the fly and breakfast will continue. It is a, you know, a part of the, the heritage of our organization. And, um, I'm happy to say that we do have uh, several new members, a lot of good young members that are joining the club. And uh, we have good leadership now. Bruce Fisher is the club president. And uh, Don Brinkmeyer is uh, he's the, the maintenance officer, and he's very active in the club. And, of course, you know, I'm still there. Yeah, we've, we've got a good group. It, it's changed over time, as I explained. Um, but, no, it, it will continue. Good. Good news. And the Griffins are always welcome. Oh, yeah. And we know that. Okay, then I have one final question for you, Peter, uh, and then we can wrap up, which is is to, is there anything that you've learned today from this recording that maybe that you didn't know before that you realized having participated um i'm not sure i i i'm i'm sure that i've learned something but i can't you know pinpoint what it is uh i have gone through you know my notes and records and all that and brought back a flood of memories um you know but they're all it's like yeah i flew with laverne on this time or you know i remember uh, Cosette and I out sitting at the clubhouse smoking cigarettes and things like that. But uh, I don't know. It's a good experience. I'm happy to have, to have done it. I'm honored that you asked me. Thank you. Um, so You've been an excellent friend to the family, and we appreciate um, getting to know you and, and continuing our friendships uh, beyond, you know, post-Laverne and post-Cosette. So that's valuable. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, so. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm going to turn the recording off now. Okay. Thank you.